Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It is great to have our first official baseball conversation of spring training with one of our favorite baseball conversationists out there from ESPN. Tim Kirkjian is nice enough to join us, the Hall of Famer, if you don't mind me saying. Tim, thank you once again. How are you, sir? I'm well, fellas. How you doing? We're doing very well. Hey, before we get into the business of why we're having you on here, congratulations, the growing Kirkjian brood, grandchild number two on the way. We just saw a video before the show started today. Congra- <laughs> congrats to you and yours and your son and his, and his wife. Well, thanks. This is grandchild number two. Like you said, my son Jeff is great on Twitter. He's great on, he puts all this stuff together. I'm the worst of all time at it. So I was surprised to see that show up today, but it was a very pleasant surprise. Got a lot of really nice comments on it. And so I haven't, <laughs> my daughter, who gave us our first grandson, she is due with number two on opening day. Oh, geez. And then my son, Jeff, is, his wife, Emily, is due August the 4th. So we have one, and in six months, we'll have three. Well, I mean, one more, and you're hitting for the grandchild cycle at that point. So good, good well, luck to you. And we're, well, we're already going to be in the zone defense pretty soon. So <laughs> they'll, they'll be on the power play very soon, but it's all good. So it is always good to have baseball around. We've actually got some new rules to talk to you about. But before we get there, before we get to broader topics, let's kind of zoom in on what was an interesting offseason for the San Francisco Giants. The Carlos Correa news aside, a lot of people are saying that the Giants had a a yawn of an offseason. Hard to kind of argue with that unless we're maybe selling Mitch Hanniger and Michael Conforto a little bit short here. Are you seeing the Giants as a glass half full, half empty, or right in the middle? Well, I hate to put them right in the middle, but I kind of liked what they did in the offseason, especially with their pitching. Um, Ross Stripling had a really good year last year, and Sean Manai is an above-average major league starting pitcher. Mitch Hanniger is an above-average major league outfielder, and Michael Conforto was a really good hitter not that long ago. So I liked what they did. It wasn't great, but it doesn't match with, obviously, anything close to where the Padres are right now. They're not as good as the Giants. I mean, as the Dodgers. I don't see the Giants being one of the six best teams in the National League uh, next year. I think they're going to be a 500 team. I don't think they're going to be a solid contender. But that doesn't mean they didn't do anything in the offseason. They tried. Uh, They just didn't do enough. Carlos Correa would have really helped. But I think we all understand to some degree 
why they passed on that. Um, the raw the the Giants twenty projected twenty six man roster is among the oldest in baseball. Does that cause any concern when you think about how they wanted to build this team, which is with a farm system that really hasn't produced much? Yeah, that that's the concern, Ray, is that you look at these other teams that are really young and are starting to get good, like the Orioles, like the Guardians, who went to the playoffs last year, won their division with an exceptionally young team. That's what you're trying to do is not only win, but win with guys who are going to be there for several more years. And the Giants just don't have that at the moment. Now, and I don't see it turning anytime soon, but you just got to take what you got. And right now they have a team that's a little bit old and right in the middle of the pack. Not a good spot to be, but a lot of teams are going to be way worse than them this year. The one and only Tim Kirkjian here on Damon and Ratto. We've been asking this question for years now. It remains a relevant question. With all the people that you've talked to, all the agents, all the players, why are the Giants consistently bridesmaids in free agency? Well, that's a good question. But, you know, the Correa, look, I'm not going to make any excuses for the Giants. But the Correa thing was bizarre. It was unique. And we'll the, give you that. <laughs> the, right. The Mets missed out on him also. It was a strange situation. I don't think you can give them too much heat for losing a guy who his next really hard, bad slide could lead to some really bad things. I think at least that's what I've been told. So we'll see about that. As for Aaron Judge, they lost a guy who wanted, I guess, to spend his whole career with the Yankees. And it's pretty hard to wedge anyone away from the Yankees when, A, they're spending just as much, if not more money, and they're the Yankees. And he just had a 62-homer season and won the MVP. So, um, yeah, I see the point. Uh, they're going to have to do better than that if they're going to catch the Padres or the Dodgers moving forward. you have to stop being the bridesmaid, as you call it. Um, but I'm not sure when that's going to happen. This was the offseason for it to happen. They get Aaron Judge, and a bunch of things follow, and that simply didn't happen. How much um, damage, though, did they did they do? Maybe not only to their fan base, but just to you know the free agent market in general. When they say we won't be outbid by anybody, and then they get outbid by the Yankees on Judge, and then they. They have the highest bid on Correa and then pull out at the last minute. Uh, is there a perception around baseball that they just don't know how to close a, a massive deal and that they're really a team that works best on the edges? Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a fair statement, Ray, because that's certainly how it looks. I think the mistake they made coming out and say we're not going to be outbid. You simply can't say something like that when you know the Yankees are part of this. And it's Aaron Judge, career Yankee, Aaron Judge, face of the franchise, Aaron Judge, one of the best players in the game, and one of the faces of the game. You should never say that when you know the Yankees are involved and the Yankees and Dodgers have more money and the Mets than anybody else. So maybe that was the mistake they made was, making a promise that maybe they just couldn't keep. So now we have 
a brand new spring training, hearkening a brand new season. And for whatever reason, baseball always insists on coming up with a new list of rules. Like, even though every fan basically agrees, don't change anything, please, not ever. Baseball continues to tinker. Maybe some of this will actually help. Uh, I don't want to go through all of it, but I want to go through some of it with you, starting with shift restrictions. For those who don't know, uh, the new rule is that the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield with at least two infielders completely on either side of second base. These restrictions are intended to increase the batting average on balls in play and allow infielders to better showcase their athleticism with great glove work. Now, I, I think that the death of infield action is part of the reason why baseball is slowed down, but I also hate telling a manager you can't play your best defense. I, I didn't like the shift, but I think I I like telling a manager what they can do even less than the actual shift. And one of the stories I've read here, Tim, is that managers are already looking for the loopholes in this, and we're probably going to see corner infielders standing very, very, or corner outfielders, or maybe a center fielder standing very close to the infield, sort of replicating a shift after all. Yeah, that's that's certainly possible, and that's the danger. And I spoke to a major league manager today who said anyone who thinks he knows how these things are going to work out today, all of these rules, he said we no one has any idea how this is going to go, which makes it intriguing. Look, I'm 66 years old. I hate change. I hate the ghost runner at second. I hate it, you know, extra inning, seven inning games and double headers. But I'm actually thinking since the league average was 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 243 last year and the value of the hit has gone away and the pitchers are so dominant they are overpowering the hitters on a nightly basis it's time to try something else with the shift and what you didn't mention and I know you know it is all feet have to be on the dirt in the infield when the play begins so now that big right hand, left-handed hitter, and we'll just use Joey Gallo, comes up and he sees four guys lined up on the right side. And he says, well, I can't hit it through there because there are four guys over there. I have to hit it over. And that's where the big swing comes from, where all the walks, strikeouts, and homers come from. It's where the, the 243 average comes from. That's where 18 strikeouts a game come from. So maybe, maybe if Joey Gallo or any other big left-hander, right-hander comes to the plate, he sees a hole up the middle and he goes, I can hit a ground ball up the middle and get a hit. I can get a hit here. I can hit a hard grounder to the right of the first baseman and get a hit here. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking to get more hits, fewer homers, more balls in play, better defense, more running, more action. The, the time of game is not going to go from 315 to 245, but maybe there'll be a lot more action and movement in the 315. I'm not asking for your opinion on this. I'm asking for the opinions of the people in the game you've talked to. Which is the rule they find most offensive and which is the one they find the most welcome? Well, I think a lot of the pitchers find the 15 and 22nd rule to be offensive for this reason. This was explained to me by a major league pitcher today. He said, look, we're changing all the rules and, and we're throwing in a pitch clock. He said, what we should have done was learn all these other rules 
the shift situation, you know, you, you can't throw over to first base in a pickoff situation more than three times. We should have learned all of these rules and then put in the pitch clock once we figured those rules out. Now we have to figure out brand new rules and we have to do it in far less time. To me, that's what most players are the most upset about is the pitch clock. And I also had a manager tell me today the hitters will be affected more by the the pitch clock than, than the pitchers will, which I found very interesting. So I find for the most part the players are okay with most of these rules. To me, the pitch clock is going to be a problem. Tim Kirchin with us here on 95.7 The Game. Damon and Ratto, welcome everyone into your 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to 95.7 The Game, KGMZ FM and HD1 San Francisco. Always live on Twitch, YouTube, and the free Odyssey app. Damn well better be free. Uh, Tim, reacting to what you just said, that the pitch clock could actually affect hitters more, what's the philosophy behind that? Well, I was surprised to hear that because I think it's going to affect the pitchers more. But, look, hitters are creatures of habit also. They love to step out. They love to adjust their batting gloves. They need to take a, a deep breath, that type of thing. And if you rush them into the batter's box against a guy throwing a cutter at 96 miles an hour, uh, they're not going to be happy about that. So I think an adjustment is going to have to be made here. And I think it's time to make the adjustment. I'm okay with the pitch clock unless we realize it's a big mistake. And the other thing I was told today is get ready to see a million balks in the month of April. Because in order to work this pitch clock, that pitcher has to come to a complete stop so we can start to time the delivery. And that's part of the problem here is that if we have a million box called in April, like we did in 1991 early in the season, that, that's not a good look for the game either. So we'll see if that happens also. Um, I have to ask this because it's the annual question. Do you get a sense that baseball finally wants a firm resolution on the situation with the Oakland A's? Or is Rob Manfred basically just continuing to kick the can down the road because he's not that interested, Vegas doesn't seem to be that interested, and the A's don't seem to be that energetic? Yeah, again, we've been over this, fellas. It's so confusing what to do. Bud Selig told me 15 years ago we have to do something about the A's and the Rays, and here it is 15 years later and we're in the same spot. I, I can't figure that one out. Um, I think they could do really well in, at times, I guess, in Las Vegas. And yet, to me, the best thing to do is to build a new ballpark in the Oakland area. But how do you do that? Where do you do that? I, I think the commissioner is getting frustrated, but I think there's not much he can do. And he just has to keep bringing it up. And I don't know what the solution is because... This has gone on way too long. John Fisher's a a terrible owner, and there is no way to even put lipstick on that pig. He is just the worst. There's no fixing him. And I don't think baseball, again, with new rules, really needed fixing. I, I want to just come back to the rule. Because, again, the, the A's are just, they're helpless. They're, they're choosing to be helpless based on their owner's wishes. Um, what do you think, Tim, of the bigger bases 
There's been quite a bit made of it. I mean, I, I always loved the saying that one of the most perfect things about baseball was the choice to put the base away exactly 90 feet. 90 feet in between bases has given us all the numbers that we revere as sacred. If the base had been 89 and a half feet away, we'd probably have multiple 400 seasons. You know, I mean, it would have changed the numbers of baseball forever if those bases weren't a perfect 90 feet away. Well, we're, we're messing with perfection because the bases have grown from 15 to 18 inches, which doesn't sound like a lot. But in all the bang-bang plays I've ever seen, then I think that that is going to be a lot. What do you think of the new bases, the unintended consequences? Will it allow us to re-embrace the stolen base, or might it backfire? Well, it, it certainly might backfire. i got to look at those bases up close today, and it is clear they are bigger than the other ones. I mean, it is clear without another base sitting, the old base sitting on top of it, all you have to do is look at it and say, wow, that is a clearly bigger base. Now, again, from home plate to first base on a play at first, it's still going to be 90 feet. And I had a pitcher tell me today, he said, all this is going to mean on a stolen base is I have to be, instead of 1.3 to the plate, I have to be 1.29 which is a microscopic difference. He claims he's done the math on this, and that's, that's, only, that's how, qu how much quicker you have to be, which isn't that much quicker. So I personally don't think that we're going to see an enormous change in the stolen base rate or the safe at first rate um, with, the, with the bigger base. Will it make a difference? I think yes, but I think it will be small. Which bad team a year ago is going to be good this year, and which good team a year ago is going to be bad? Um, the bad teams, Ray, right now are so bad that, you know, the Pirates and Reds and well, the A's, sorry, and they're, they're not going to be any good, that's for sure. The I, I think the Angels were pretty bad last year, and I like some of the things they've done. And I just refuse to believe in the final, potentially the final year that Otani plays for the Angels. And Mike Trout is coming back, you know, to maybe show everyone again he's still the best player in baseball. And with the other things that they've done and with help to some other people, I, I think the Angels have a chance to be much better and they might even make the playoffs. As for a team that was good last year and is going to be bad this year, I'm not ducking the question. I'm just not sure there's a team out there that was good and is going to be bad. Now, I don't know if the Orioles are going to take another step forward from 110 losses to 83 wins. I don't see them jumping up again, but that doesn't mean that they had a good season and they're going to fall back. I, I just think a lot of the teams are pretty much in the same spot that they were last year. And finally, of the players last year that stood out, uh, which one do you think is going to be maybe the true, the true best player in baseball, and which one do you think will fall off the most? Well, Rodriguez, Julio, Rodriguez kid in Seattle is 
ridiculously good. He was 21 years old now. He's built like a tank, and he can fly, and he can play center field. And I'm not saying he's going to win the MVP this year, but his poise is remarkable. And for a kid that young, and he's as big a reason as any that um, the Mariners made the playoffs last year. I think he's only going to get better from here, and that is a scary thought. As for a young player who is going in the wrong direction, I think it's a little too early to say, hey, so-and-so, so-and-so. But I need to see, for instance, what Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to do this year in a in a healthy situation. He is a great player, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that last year, coming off a broken leg, basically he wasn't the same player. And even though he did, he was a productive player. I'm really interested to see if he comes back and becomes the best player in baseball or close to it as he was before he got hurt a year and a half ago. So he's a guy that I think we need to keep our eye on because the ceiling's enormously high, and we'll just see how he reacts after as a mostly a healthy player now. And finally, I'll let you speculate even more. Will Trevor Bauer be signed by someone this year because he's too good a pitcher not to be, or did he make himself so toxic a year ago that nobody will touch him? Well, again, this is a very difficult question, Ray. You only ask difficult questions. But my guess is he will not pitch again this year. And my guess is I don't think anyone's going to go near him, given the toxic nature, as you said, and given the atmosphere in Major League Baseball right now. He's 32. He's got great stuff. But my guess is... My guess is this is it for him as a Major League Baseball player, but who knows? Tim Kirkton with us here. I got one last one. What do you think of Bruce Bochy being back in baseball, and what sort of Svengali magic will he wield over the Texas Rangers? Well, I love that he's back in the game because the game is always better when Bruce Bochy's in it because he's a great manager, period. And he's a great guy to be around. He's so good for the game. And to me, he represents the old school that actually watches the game being played and makes adjustments during the game based on what he's seen. As we've known, Giants won three World Series because no one, but no one ran a bullpen better than that guy because he could watch and see what was happening on the field. And I think this is a really good sign for the game, that we're putting the game back to some degree in the hands of people who have a great feel for the sport and a great look at the sport, like Dusty Baker, like Bruce Bochy, two Hall of Fame managers who are managing at the same time again. I think that's a good thing, but the most important thing is that the Rangers are giving him full reign to run the team, especially when the game starts. From one Hall of Famer to another, what do you think of the passing of Tim McCarver? Uh, it was awful. I love that guy. He had a fascinating career. I mean, you could make a case that he's the best baseball player ever to make the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. I mean, Tony Kubek, Ken Harrelson, there were some others. But Tim McCarver was a really good player. Go look at his postseason numbers. He, he led the league. He led the major leagues in triples in 1966 he's the only catcher ever to steal home in a world series game his performance in the 64 world series including a crucial home run 
was tremendous. He played in four decades. He caught 450 starts made by Steve Carlton and Bob Gibson combined. He was a really good player. He was a great broadcaster. And he today is a terrible day for baseball. Spring training is officially back, and it was great to have Tim Kirchin get us excited for baseball. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, congrats again to the ever-expanding family, and we look forward to uh, saying hello to you again real soon, Tim. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. See you. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.